River Heights Radio presents Mystery of the Moss-Covered Mansion, a prologue. A friend of Carson Drew's has been arrested and charged with sending a truck loaded with explosive oranges into the Space Center complex at Cape Kennedy. Knowing that Mr. Billington could not possibly be guilty of sabotage, Nancy and her father rush to the defense of the accused man. During the Drew's investigation, Nancy becomes suspicious of an old, spooky mansion. Behind a high, steel mesh enclosure, fierce African wild animals roam over the extensive grounds. Through a ruse, the clever teenage detective discovers that something besides the training of wild animals is going on at the mysterious moss-covered mansion estate. Many dangerous moments await Nancy before she proves Mr. Billington's innocence and thwarts the plans of treacherous subversives bent on undermining the U.S. space program. And we're back, listeners, <laughs> to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. We are so excited today to talk about that house buying. Code breaking. Cream sauce making. Public health service secretary. Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew. She is reddish blonde haired, this book. But still attractive. And still flirty. Mr. Drew, a tall, good looking man, glanced up at his attractive 18 year old daughter and smiled. Whew. You can feel the tension. Carson Drew is a leading attorney in River Heights, where they live. In fact, he doesn't even have a license to operate in Florida. And that's important. They're going to buy a house there. Nancy asks, Dad, are you busy on a regular case or one with a mystery? It's such a best question. It's exactly how Bess usually Is this a starts. case or a g- g- ghost case? <laughs> Carson shows her a personal ad and says, what does my detective daughter think? You see, Carson always buys weeks worth of newspapers for wherever he's going to do a case (laughs) and reading all these newspapers he finds several classified ads that seem suspicious first he shows nancy son of fruit grower wishes forgiveness will return money dad do you know what it means and you're teasing me to see if i can figure it out Such a thing would have been a temptation, he said. It's flirting. It is. Nancy finally says this could or could not be suspicious. Those are the two possibilities. The second ad was longer. Natural color oranges, best antidote for grower's son's special kind of chronic asthma. Boom. Let's interrupt it. Car crash outside. Best in George's car has been run into by a crazy driver. George is pretty pissed at him. She says, I don't need a doctor. I just need a new car car. If only there was someone around here who was known for giving out new cars, Mr. Drew. Not George's dad. George's dad leads us on a page of boredom as he talks about their insurance agent. When the cops show up, Officer Hampton says, I believe this guy is under the influence of some drug. Why? Because he'd get knocked out in a car accident? Don't they also decide not voluntarily? Well, they say he passed out before he hit the other car, so it's not like pot. Like, I don't know what it is. Well, who knows? What we do know is the doctor had brought both Bess and George into the world, and they were very fond of him. Ew. And the doctor says they're fine. And of course, this car accident has nothing to do with the case. So the next morning... After church... (laughs) 
Nancy has stayed up all night solving these codes. I'm so frustrated with this whole code system in this book. <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes no sense, Most guys. Most of this book is does not make sense, is not believable. I trust you listened to the prologue already. Nancy says the first message is son wishes money. How do you know? Well, I used the code <laughs> 15913. Okay, so I looked online. I was like, do the what do these numbers mean? It, Technically, 15913 is 4n plus 1. It is every four numbers a number. Yeah. But it could have been anything. It doesn't have any other significance. Also, the first message doesn't even have 13 letters in it. So no, Nancy. For the first one, you used 159. For the second one, you used 15913. And to make it worse, the second one reads natural antidote special asthma. Which Nancy takes to mean... NASA. Bess says, NASA? The National Aeronautics Space Administration? Shut up, Bess. I'm still confused about this. <laughs> why, why in one case does it mean the words and in the other it means the initials? And what is that message that the crooks are sending? NASA? Just NASA? Th it, there's no message. Shut up, Bess, and pack your bags. In half a day, <laughs> we're leaving for Florida. But first, Nancy has to talk on the phone with her boyfriend, Ned. Ned did most of the talking. He was an attractive Emerson College football player who dated Nancy exclusively. exclusively. Big news for Teen Beat River Heights. Nancy is exclusively with Ned. And listen, now that they're exclusive, Ned has pretty big britches about the whole thing. He's kind of bossy in this book. Yes. Conveniently, Ned's parents have a house down in Florida, are staying there right then, and it's near where they have to go for Carson Drew's case, and Ned, Bert, and Dave are going to join them soon for a quote-unquote house party at the Nickerson's house. It's also offhanded that this is said, like, oh yeah, you know, Ned's parents in Florida, where you're going, works out. Everybody had a house in Florida in the 70s. My grandparents had a house in the Florida in the 70s, Carl. It was a wild time to be alive yeah. in Florida. Then we get several pages of their travel details, which we don't care about. Like, it's really specific. Oh, we're going on this airline, and I thought about how this could be a good flight, but we went this way to this city. I, you know. Don't care. I don't care. Uh, but what we do care about is nobody shows to pick them up at the airport. They were meant to be picked up by Mr. Billington, that's the man who we're going to defend, his housekeeper and his lawn keeper? Now they have to be picked up by the caretakers because Mr. Billington, who was arrested for the explosive oranges that exploded at NASA, he's out on bail and not only that, but he's received special permission to go out of state and buy some real estate, so he's not home. They don't like keep NASA terrorists locked up tight, I guess. Not even if they send explosive oranges. oranges. Deliver them themselves, supposedly. Allegedly. <laughs> so they have to take a taxi all the way to Mr. Billington's house where they're staying. And then Anton and Tina, the Rosardos, show up. Those are the caretakers. And they are mean. The wife is like, we told you to meet us at this other airport. And Mr. And Drew goes, no, you did. That's not true. 
Also, where's my dinner? Also, where's my dinner? And Anton glares at them and says, you people will have to get your own dinner. Way at the beginning, maybe the second novel, Carl, you talked about what would we imagine Hannah doing if Carson and Nancy went on vacation? Well, because they're out of the house all the time. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if Hannah's just sitting alone making turkey in case they come home. And you specifically compared her to the Brady Bunch maid mm-hmm. who would go with them would on vacation. Would go with yes. them on vacation. And, and so does Hannah. What happens <laughs> hannah goes with them to florida and so hannah makes them a big pot of chicken with gravy and what does that anton do he just comes down from his room and grabs a plate for him and his wife to eat in their room but even worse he comes back for dessert this woman makes an apple pie and anton takes half, half of, of it pie. now that's a slice that I would have trouble not laughing about. And he doesn't even make conversation. He leaves his dirty dishes. George says, what's eating him? And Bess says, nothing. He's eating everything. Finally, Bess gets to get one in. Nancy says, that man is the limit. And Hannah says, he certainly is. They overhear someone on the phone saying they're going to keep an eye on the visitors. And they want to figure out where the other extension to the phone is. Mm. Maybe it's out in the orange packing building. They get out there. They can't find anything. Carson decides it's too dangerous to do too much more in what is very dark darkness. And Nancy says, but how do we get back? And Carson says to his daughter, I should think a detective like you could find her way in the dark. Just for that, said his daughter, I'll lead you right back to the Billingtons. So she gropes tree after tree. (laughs) She tries to find which side of the tree is smoothest because that's the north side? I think really Carson must have just not known how to get back. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because they were just lost in an orange field. Quicker to just go back. Yeah, they did. He did not know. They get back. Hannah is uh, saying, "Well, maybe it's not safe here. Let's all lock our doors." This is a weird moment Mm -hmm. because she suggests they all lock their doors, and everyone looks at Mister Drew. Would he agree to lock his? To their surprise, he did. What? Why is that a surprise? I need people to be able to get in. Only a cowardly man would lock his door, (laughs) Carl. Bess, who was hungry all the time, votes to buy their own food and not depend on that awful creature. She means Tina. Nancy decides to go meet all the people who work in the orange grove and a big old basket of oranges almost tumbles straight onto her head. Danger! And you might think this is related to villainy somehow, but it's not. Nope, turns out it's Jackson. They call it... Old Old Clumsy clumsy fingers. Fingers. What possible reason could he have for harming her, she thinks. He doesn't have a reason. He's just old clumsy fingers Jackson. George noticed something important. She noticed that there is a speedboat on the property. Ooh, and the keys are inside. It's called the Starbeam. And uh, Bess says, it looks powerful, Nancy. Would you dare take it out? (laughs) Nancy says, of course. Yeah. So they take the boat over to the Nickerson house, where they meet a very attractive woman. Ned's mom has got Got it going on. She greets Nancy and shows deep affection. Mrs. Nickerson is delighted to see Nancy because 
She has a friend nearby who really wants to sell his house. I mean, he wants to unload this thing. And Mrs. Nickerson really wants her future daughter-in-law to live nearby. So she says, hey, would you like to go see the house? And they go to see it. It's on the market. Mr. Webster really wants it gone. He has all sorts of rare plants and rare trees. Ooh, the rarest of them all? The The sausage sausage tree. tree. Oh boy. It's rarely seen in this country. I can see why. So this is a tree uh, that doesn't grow sausages, uh, (laughs) but grows long melons, uh, which George felt would make a real swinging weapon. I noticed that there's a lot of educational parts in this book. It feels more than ever like the video games. There's just sections where it kind of drops all pretense of being a book and just tells you about facts. Mm-hmm. Which is very much how the games feel when you're, you're playing along and suddenly it's like, did you know about Egypt? Did you know that the sausage tree melon is over 12 inches long? Oh, thank you, Nancy. <laughs> we also learned Bess's opinion on bats as pollinators, which is ugh. Nancy becomes very enthralled with the next door neighbor's house. Because she hears a piercing scream coming from it. It is moss covered and looks spooky. And Mrs. Nickerson says, no, I don't know the owner. She doesn't know anything about Besides it. Besides, I think there's wild animals there. Nancy is clearly very curious about this place. So Mrs. Nickerson teases her. Oh, now I see how you find your mysteries. And Nancy says, sometimes we do stumble upon them. When there's a scream, we take a look. (laughs) Back home. Carson Drew has a surprise for the girls. He's an accredited writer. And he's got them all press badges for what is referred to for the entire book as the moon shoot. The moon shoot. Which I think we would call a moon launch. A rocket launch? I don't know. Moon shoot. I love it. They have passes that will allow them to go as close as is possibly allowed to see this launching. They head off now to tour the Kennedy Space Center. At the Visitor Information Center, Nancy was impressed by the large number of European and Asiatic tourists who were there. She noted, she's like, oh, a lot of (laughs) non-Americans. Hannah finds it all so overwhelming. And we get to learn things on the way, such as, oh, as we all know about the satellite Tiros, which tracks the weather and hurricanes. We also see the mock-ups of missiles and rockets, most of them in the familiar cone shape. Yeah, that makes sense. So I had to look this up because they're offhandedly like, oh, we deliver these in barges that resemble aluminum Quonset huts painted white. And I don't, I didn't know what a Quonset hut is. I have no idea. Okay. So it's one of those, like, if you think of Area 51, like those rounded metal buildings. Okay are called Quonset huts, and they're called that uh, because they were originally manufactured at Quonset Point, Florida, which is, I think, a Native American word for the place. Hannah disappears at one point. Nancy goes to find her. Yeah, in fact, the bus driver for the tour is like, yeah, the next bus will catch you. Go go have a wander. Go, <laughs> go look around the space station, you kids. Hannah has happened upon her distant relative, Herb Baylor, who is a rocket assembly man at NASA, an engineer. That's their in. He has another personal ad for Nancy. Oh, this code says, son on board ship, ready to be sailor for peaceful kind of action. And the code 15913 makes this sun ready for action, which is kind of what it already says. Yes. So like, (laughs) 
I guess. Did you know that an astronaut gets about 2,800 calories of food a day? Give us the meal of this book. 17% is protein, 32% is fat, and 51% is carbs. Yum. Bess gave a low giggle. That's the place for me. I guess she loves carbs? (laughs) Breakfast would be strawberry cereal cubes, bacon squares, peanut butter sandwiches, and orange juice. Great, (laughs) says Bess. Okay, well dinner would be beef with veggies, spaghetti with meat sauce, toast squares, fruitcake made with dates, and tea. That would suit me, Bess commented. It sounds yummy. This is after he already explained that food is in bars, cubes, and powders. So, Mm. like, calm yourself, Bess. You don't want this food. I don't think so. Bess is but a vehicle to us learning about NASA's nutritional plans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, after this tour, they get home, and what do they find? They've been robbed. All their pictures have been stolen. Even the one in Bess's suitcase. I have a confession here. Mm. Um, I actually, I took all these. It was me. I took these for uh, a collage I'm working on. I've got, yeah, I've just got a wall, and all the eyes have been poked out. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Stop it. George is sure the Rosaldos took the pictures, and everyone agrees. But Mr. Drew reminds them they have no evidence. George decides, okay, I'm going to go search the room. And before anyone can stop her, she runs up those stairs and finds out, of course, the Rosaldos do not have Mr. Drew's fear of locking the door. Yeah, they have no compunctions about privacy. When Tina gets home, she says, what would we want with photographs of you people? So then he calls the cops. question Anton and Tina and then say well there it's a he says she says we can't do anything and the book talks about how they made black looks at Carson and company and that Anton and Tina went upstairs without saying goodnight I should think so of course he did I would imagine I think as far as what you can do to your roommates calling the cops in to question them about your missing photographs is not going to make the roommate situation any more friendly it's a Weird accusation. (laughs) So after that uh, gets cleared up, I guess, Nancy discusses the new house with Mr. Drew. It's a darling home. Buy Nancy a house, Mr. Drew. You know... (laughs) We, you bought her cars, buy her a house. And that's basically how this comes down. Nancy just keeps hounding her father. It, I want that house. I and mean, he's just like, yeah. oh, my daughter, she gets what she wants. Well, she just decides pretty early on that Carson's just going to get her this house. Because Carson can never be there for an entire novel, or we would wonder if Nancy solved the case at all, <laughs> he gets called back home. They drive him to the airport, and on the drive back, they decide to stop so Bess can pick some water hyacinths out of a stream. What a beautiful bunch of flowers, says Bess, sitting there by that log. That green log. That big, snarling green log. I'm just gonna go and lean over the water real close. George says, don't lean over so far, you'll fall in. Now, I'm being sarcastic. She didn't see this ahead of time, but it's Florida and there's an alligator. He dives at her, opens his big old jaws. And she, worst of all, falls into the mud with white white pants. pants. (laughs) I tell you, we we were talking about this. If that alligator wanted Bess, he would have her. Mm -hmm. Like, she's 
at the water. That's how they do it. Nancy and George usher her into the car. Bess says, <laughs> He was going to b- b- bite me. <laughs> entirely one of the many misadventures that have nothing to do with the case nancy is determined to see the house even though the realtor is on vacation she says i'll find a way yeah so she tries to get his address like it is very normal for nancy drew to not care about realtor privacy she has many times just gone to their house at all hours so if he's on vacation yeah she'll go to his house he works for her this time she doesn't find him though so throughout this book there is questionable grammar a lot of which can be attributed to colloquialisms. Some of them get confusing, though. You're talking about here where Bess giggles how we hate ourselves. George tries to take them on in in tennis. Yeah. And Bess says, oh, how we hate ourselves. Is that just you, Bess? That's just you, Bess. Oh, honey. I think she means like, yeah, okay, George, you're going to beat us. But I don't know. Well, George does beat Nancy and Bess together. Yes. I assume using judo. And afterwards, Bess says to Nancy, half your brain was playing tennis and the other half was conjuring up something. Nancy was thinking about someone to investigate. So they decide to go talk to Patrick Croft, who is the guy who let somebody who very much looked like Mr. Billington and had Mr. Billington's identification papers into NASA the day they he left explosive oranges about yeah the commander gives him his address no problem nancy no problem patrick croft has been dismissed by nasa for letting explosives into nasa you're not allowed to do that interestingly not guilty yeah this is patrick is he looks sad so we know he's innocent the sad looking man offered them some candy he had made oh he was a bachelor and he liked to cook nancy surmised he was reserved and not apt to defend himself real soy boy yeah if he cooks for himself he's not a man (laughs) he couldn't handle a bull terrier she says maybe if croft had been more aggressive he wouldn't have been dismissed from nasa mr croft says i'm mighty sorry about the whole thing but i don't think i should have been dismissed just about a paragraph before it says the girls felt sorry for croft they realized his dismissal had been necessary (laughs) okay Two opinions on that one. But Bess says, Nancy's an amateur detective. And Nancy cuts her off. With the help of my two good friends here, I have solved some mysteries. Croft is happy to hear that. And she asks him to give her any clues he ends up having. And they leave. When they go home, they find Hannah quite excited. Hannah, who's taking a front seat in this mystery, has found another code. God, I hate these so much. Dorothy's son has just released Trunk. It is empty. Advise at once where to find contents. Now, if you use 15913, this says Dorothy's released empty where. That doesn't make any sense. Drew! It spells Drew! It's enough of a message that Bess says, I think we'd better give up our sleuthing. And George tells Bess, the thrust of a hundred thousand pound rocket couldn't force Nancy to give up on this case. I think when that's true, like, is it intervention time? I know she's being figurative, but... (laughs) So Nancy decides that the people who used this code might not want them to meet with the realtor, Mr. Scarlet, and that's why he's on vacation. (laughs) What a leap? What kind of a leap is that? (laughs) Conspiracy theory stuff. Like, everything Mm -hmm. in my life revolves around this mystery, but... 
He's right. It's true. It's true. So, meanwhile, Mr. Fancy Pants football player exclusive date to Nancy, Ned Nickerson, gives her a phone call and has the audacity to say, I just have one favor. Have this mystery solved before Bert and Dave and I arrive. We want to have fun. Have dinner on the table. A mystery solved. (laughs) And my slippers warmed by the door. Nancy says, why Ned? I thought you adored solving mysteries and tracking down villains. A little bit of the old Ned comes through here as he immediately backs down. You're right. Okay, Nancy. I'll help bring this mystery to a quick termination. She says there are two mysteries. A orange mystery and a spooky mystery. (laughs) He's like, I'll take the spooky one. That sounds interesting. Hannah gets a phone call from her relative, her bailer. Oh my god, what a weird moment. (laughs) Who was apparently very much impressed with the three girls. So they have this moment like a girl talk moment. Like, oh, boys are cute. In which Bess teases Hannah, oh, did Herb want to take you on a date in the moon rocket? They're related. Hannah flushes slightly and reminds them that no... My middle-aged relative is into you three 18-year-old girls. Not me. Duh. (laughs) So as we know, phone calls come in three. And (laughs) the third bachelor that calls is Patrick Patrick Croft. Croft. Bachelor number three. He's been trying to get a hold of Nancy, but the line has been busy. Poor Patrick. And he says, you know, somebody said that if I talk to you, it's bad. They'll... They've threatened me. I'll be harmed if I talk to you. And immediately he hears his house being broken into. There's a I mean, cry of panic. That's service. That's turnaround, right? If I talk to you, I'll be harmed. Bam. Nancy listens to banging and screaming <laughs> and Croft yelling, help, help. And then she finally hangs up and calls the cops. Cops aren't enough. She's going to drive over there. I'm going to go see what happened. Hannah, not by yourself. We're all going. This is shocking. Poor Mr. Croft. Who talks like this? She includes everything. These are all periods, not exclamation marks. I mean, Hannah's a total boss in this book, but this is not one of her better moments. (laughs) So when they get there, they see an ambulance, which finally alerts Bess to the fact that... Oh, he's been hurt. Yeah, oh no. There's a police officer named Reagan Mm -hmm. who has an extensive and meaningless conversation with Nancy. (laughs) Reagan tells Nancy, Sometimes even a small detail the average person considers unimportant can prove to be a valuable clue. Oh yeah. Nancy knew this very well from her other sleuthing experiences like she she knows guy she knows then she introduced herself he would have known if she'd introduced herself right away so they can't find fingerprints because the the intruder wore gloves and they can't get footprints believe it or not because the intruder wore flippers the man you're looking for could be a snorkeler and reagan says you're right okay so like first of all or what else A snorkeler or what? Or you could have just worn flippers, Carl. And also, it's a like, fashion choice. Take a moment to imagine <laughs> some guy breaking into your house and like flopping towards you in flippers, and then like he's able to beat you up. Like at no point do you step on his flipper and push him. Patrick this... Croft cooks. <laughs> This flippered man just beating on a guy before snorkeling away. Well, that's not important 
because immediately after saying that she's right about the snorkeler, Reagan changes the subject entirely in the most bizarre twist to say, by the way, have you and your friends visited the Real 8 Museum of Sunken Treasure yet? Do you work for the tourism board, Officer Reagan? What is happening? I think it's very interesting how sometimes they will have a quote and Nancy will just say something. But often they will say, Nancy said and just make a general sentence about it. Like Nancy Nancy thought or Nancy did this. And it's kind of a power move. It's just left to your imagination what that looked like. Nancy knew this very well. They don't need to tell us that. We know Nancy knows that. But they tell us that anyways to contrast her directly with the perception the cop has of her. Yeah, well said. It's an interesting technique that is used, I think, in most of the novels, but I did think popped up a lot in this one. And I always delight in it. Especially when it's like, Nancy made no comment. That's my favorite. George suggests that Croft maybe wasn't a victim, but was an inside man for the gang, which Nancy dismisses. She feels very responsible for Croft getting hurt. And we never find out if he was an inside man or not. It never comes up again. We don't know if he got better. We We don't know know who beat him up. We know he was beat badly enough that he was unconscious for many days. Because there are no snorkelers in this book. (laughs) There is no mention of flippers again. I think Croft was just involved in something. Like he just had like a gambling debt. And he was just involved in something else. Because it does not come up again. And you know at the end when the villains say everything they do. They say everything they did. Mm -hmm. And no one says they beat up Croft. So that's his own problem. I noticed a few gaps in the confessions this time, though. So back at home, Hannah is getting tired of their roommates. That Anton, he's a cheat. She's gonna let Mr. Billington know he doesn't do his job very well. She had to put out the sprinkler for him. (laughs) Yeah. The lawn is getting brown. She also recommends that they all have some ice cream before bed. Nancy decides that she should call Mr. Billington's lawyer to fill him in on what's been going on. But when she picks up the phone, once again, she overhears a conversation. Get it straight. Our day. Said a man. They decide that they should try to rush out to the orange packing building, but... Hannah says, you're not going to that place to investigate it. It's too dangerous. Nancy says, I think Anton should investigate. Yeah, I mean, if it's dangerous, let's get him to do it. I'm going upstairs and tell him. George, with a sardonic laugh, says, he won't thank you for waking him. Nancy, I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) Tina groggily informs Nancy that Anton is taking a bath. As they're going to bed, what should occur? But Anton himself walks in the downstairs kitchen door. What? You weren't taking a bath at all, as Tina said. George cried out. You were in the orange packing house phoning. And Nancy says, what does our day mean? Well, so he's been cornered. And you know what a cornered criminal does? Shakes Nancy until her head feels like it would snap off. He cries, you little sneak. And yeah, attacks her. (laughs) Oh my God. George finally cries out, stop that. She buckles the man's knees and flips him over her shoulder. Judo! Bess gleefully yells, good for you, George. Bloodlust! Hannah, after ensuring that Nancy is okay, says, 
That was a contemptible thing to do to you. Anton, hereafter, don't you ever dare lay a finger on Nancy or any of the rest of us because Hannah is a complete boss. And Certified. if you wanted to see where Nancy gets it, you're finally getting a little taste of the healthy but firm motherly figure she had in her life. I think the good news, at least, mm. is that Anton gives such a forthright and appropriate apology. No, 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 no. This is textbook, not how you do an apology. This is Anton's apology. I didn't mean to hurt you. Sure. I just meant to shake you a bit. What? I'm sorry if I did. So I'm not sorry for my actions. I'm sorry if they hurt you. Yeah, that's how I do it. You make me see red when you are suspicious of me. So this is your fault. You mentioned my taking a bath. By the time I finished, Tina was asleep and I went out to investigate. We are to believe that his friend at the same time called him about his wife's surprise birthday party and his wife's name is Ruth and therefore our day stands for the day they're going to have a surprise birthday party for Ruth. And Tina comes down about now and he's like, right, Tina? You know how our day is Ruth's birthday? And Tina nods her head. Hope, have I been a apologizing to your own no you're great at apologies (laughs) i have never been so impressed with hannah yeah she says there may have been misunderstandings on all sides why don't we talk this whole thing out conflict resolution and surprisingly anton says that's a good idea which doesn't seem in keeping with his surly character he's presented so far i think he gets confused about what he's trying to do it's hard to come back from i shook a 18 year old girl yeah (laughs) can i make up some ground on that one i think this is much more important than anything else we learn in this book nancy did not like the man's defensive attitude she knew that guilty people often play the part of aggrieved persons trying to cover up the truth Was this the case with the Rosardos? Yeah, they call it DARVO. Have you heard of that? It's an acronym for Deflect, Attack, Reverse Victim and Offender. So when someone feels challenged, they often, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not important. I'm going to deflect the accusations. Then I'm going to be mean to you. Then I'm going to pretend it was you who were mean to me. That's important to be able to recognize. Hannah says, and I think this is amazing. She starts with her feelings and what's been going on. I might as well tell you, I resent you're not helping around. Around the house. You eat the food I cook and even leave your dirty dishes for me to clean. This is good communication. Mm-hmm. Tina says, among other things, I'm not strong and I'm not too well. I won't wait on so many people. And I do feel a little sorry for her. Her boss is just like, yep, we're going to have six house guests have fun yeah i mean it's a bit much but not worth the reaction that we've been getting from these people so far yeah don't wait on them but do you have to also take their food and expect them to wait on you it seems like she's taking out on them her frustrations with her boss anton says i think tina and i will move to a motel until after you people go home hannah and the girls would find it a great relief for them to move away but they do want to be able to continue their surveillance spoilers they are bad guys it doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't just leave because they get caught by nancy drew as bad guys do just go away i I don't know what they're being paid for this criminal conspiracy but apparently it's not enough that anton can afford to lose his job because when threatened by hannah i'm glad we had this talk 
I'm sure Mr. Billington would be very hurt if you leave, and he might even decide not to let you come back. And I guess that's going to keep him around. All right, we'll stay. I'll help with the cooking. I guess we can all help keep the house clean. Which is really kind of her since it's her job. <laughs> the Rosardos were annoyed because Hannah had won her point. Uh, yeah, she did. The next morning, George thinks to herself, did she imagine it or was Anton limping a little bit from her judo trick? You'd think that would come up again. It doesn't. No. Nancy, meanwhile, goes out to the grove and eavesdrops on some of the workers having a conversation. One of the guys says laughingly, I'll bet the boss is making a killing for himself. So Nancy does some good detective work. Yeah, she wants to find out if the guy meant Anton or Mr. Billington. Who do they call the boss? So she calls out to the orange packing building and she says, I'd like to speak to the boss. So the guy goes, all right, I'll call him. Anton, you're wanted on the phone. And she just hangs up. That's the smart way to figure it out. Is that guy saying Anton is probably making a killing for himself as part of a terrorist organization? What is he talking about? Because it doesn't really connect to the case at all. Again. Oh, Lord. George says, shall we go tackle him? <laughs> and again, like, we don't know what we would be tackling him for. Yeah. For making money. For having a birthday for Ruth. Nancy finally tracks down Mr. Scarlet, the realtor. I mean, he's nice about it, but he's on vacation. Nancy pretends not to notice that he is trying to evade her. Her whole plan is he can let her borrow the key. She can return it under the door. Of course, probably her dad's going to want to buy the place, in which case she'll just keep the key so he gets all ruffled he's like you'll do nothing of the sort and in what i know to be the old realtor reverse psychology mm. says the house is not for you you wouldn't like it and there are lots of things the matter with the place nancy asks like what it's not necessary for me to go into that hmm if i was a suspicious person i would think something was going on there <laughs> mr scarlet's eyes narrowed angrily nonsense so he gives her the key he doesn't want to be a suspicious person they get to the house they love the house it's as beautiful inside as it is outside you know there's nothing wrong with it in fact if i were george <laughs> i would say mr scarlet's opinion is for the birds but if i were best i would say i wouldn't want to live with that gross thing next door well let's find out what it is says nancy the gross thing is a moss-covered mansion with wild animals in the yard. I mean, that's Florida for you, right? So they're walking down by the yard of this house, hearing all sorts of noises. And Bess says, it's a wild animal. We'd better run. Nancy says, no, no Bess. Bess. <laughs> no. George says, that's a lion. Maybe this is a zoo. Nancy said it was certainly not a public one. Uh, again, it's not Nancy saying it's certainly not a public one. No. Because that would almost be too to the point. It's Nancy told her it wasn't a public one. We don't know exactly how that happened. Because if a character just says it, we question it more than if a narrator says it. Ah. We do not know what kind of animals these are or how many. We know that there are black leopards, African animals, and big beasts. A group of African animals were galloping among the trees toward the girls. Roars, growls, and hisses? What is Is it an elephant? Is it a giraffe? I don't know. Bess is terrified. George is fascinated. The guy who takes the animals under his uh, whip <laughs> says, What are you doing here? Nancy has the most Nancy response. Just looking. Yep. This is a dangerous place. Stay away. Yep. Bess. 
You bet we will. <laughs> and he's like, I trained these for the circuses. Nancy was surprised to hear this because uh, she knows that few circuses own the animals which are shown. They belong to the trainers. Nancy's full of knowledge that other people don't have. <laughs> So Nancy, even though she's been told to go away, wants to go the rest of the way around this yard. Mm -hmm. Even though a black leopard already tried to jump the fence at them. Which, by the way, it could have. So I guess this enclosure for wild African animals just isn't very good at keeping its cats in. Bess points out, those animals may come after us. Yup. Nancy says, I'm willing to take that chance. George, are you? Yup. Sure thing. Bess is offered the key. To go back to the house. She says, I'll tag along. Don't say I didn't warn you. When we're eaten by cats, don't say I didn't warn you. Mm-hmm. Nancy finally agrees to leave because she can feel Bess trembling. And this happens so often where Nancy doesn't listen to the fact that Bess is afraid, but then in the end decides, okay, Bess is afraid enough that I care now. But if she cared about her friend, she wouldn't put her into a situation where she was literally trembling. Over the course of this journey, George gets stuck in ooze, a snake comes down and tries to get Nancy with its tongue. Bess picks up an orange and justifies it by saying, in case I get hungry. But why she didn't just own that she was taking that up as a clue is beyond me because we find that out later. Because she's just so used to being hungry. (laughs) Then worse than a snake, Mr. Scarlet shows up. George wants to go confront him, but Nancy says, no, George, I believe we can find out more from him thinking we didn't see him. He might just be trying to meet the neighbors. Yeah. But then again, he is on vacation. Back home, the girls go to the bookcase and find the conveniently titled book, Oranges, Oranges. (laughs) which is full of color pictures of all the varieties of oranges. I now know more types of oranges than I did before this book. Now, Mr. Billington grows pineapple oranges, Mm. but the orange that best picked up from the moss-covered mansion is a Parson Brown orange. Well, that's interesting because the explosive oranges were Hamlin's. I guess we better go track down some Hamlin orange groves. That does come up again for a while. Nancy is called to the kitchen to finish a dinner that Tina doesn't know how to make because she doesn't know how to make the special cream sauce. (laughs) This is where Hannah's very proud of Nancy for making the special cream sauce. (laughs) So Mr. Datsun, the lawyer who is defending Mr. Billington, since Carson Drew does not have a license in Florida, calls Nancy up and says, hey, somebody slipped a note under my door. Can a mouse with a brain of jelly capture a lion with nerves of steel? How strange, says Nancy. So let's apply our classic 15913 code to this. Oh, nothing. It seems like it's a threat that somehow connects Mr. Billington's orange case with the mansion with the wild animals because they have lions could the still nerves be the still cages this is going pretty well this crime but i'm gonna slip a threatening note under the door of the lawyer of the man we framed probably ivinson but we never find out per usual this is a whole gang of criminals (laughs) ivinson is the dumb one are smarter than others yeah ivinson's only included because 
he looks like Mr. Billington. Yeah, so he was able to pretend to be Mr. Billington to get onto the to NASA. We'll get there. Fancy says, whoever the lion is, we'll catch him. Anton runs into the house saying, oh no, there's a fire. And Bess thinks this might be a ruse to get them out of the house. As usual, it's not a ruse. Nancy calls the fire department, runs out into the field, decides this fire has been deliberately set while workers were at lunch. Nancy's an arson expert. She asks one of the workers what she can do. And they say, you're a girl. What can you do? Nancy was angry. She turned away. Nancy goes and finds a hose, starts spraying down some of the trees, and when the fireman comes, he applauds her and says, good work. Then he says, you girls have to go bathe your eyes. We'll take care of the hose. The fire chief is convinced this is the work of a firebug. <gasps> Mr. Skank. Carson is astounded at the damage. Bess reminds us that this was a wicked thing to do. Fires are wicked. We, we learned that. Nancy finds a clue. It's a partially burnt newspaper with red crayon circled around the Drew clue. Who's circling things with a crayon? Is this Anton? Did Anton have the newspaper? Why or, with a crayon? Or whoever lit the orchard on fire. Ivanson just yeah. brought it with him? <laughs> I guess he would use crayon. Nancy says, what we must do is find a motive. And yes, indeed, we never do find the motive to many of these things. I like, right after this, Bess says, suppose the firebug takes it into his head to burn down the house we're staying in. There was a silence for a few moments. She's such a downer. Oh my god, Bess. Nancy. Leave it alone. Finally, Nancy says, perhaps we'd better go back and talk this over with Hannah. You know what Hannah has the audacity to say? I wish we had a good watchdog here. Yeah, maybe don't leave Togo alone. Bring Togo! Place. Yeah, what the heck? Oh my goodness. Hannah felt uneasy about staying home alone, so Bess stays with her, while George and Nancy go to pick up her dad and Mr. Billington from the airport. Who should show up at the door but Mr. Scarlet the realtor? With a wrench. No, there's no wrench. <laughs> Mr. Scarlet, I get it. Furiously demanding the key in some sort of a sweaty rage. Bess is about to tell Mr. Scarlet where Nancy is. Hannah, like the boss she is, gives Bess one little look, and Bess shuts up. Scarlet says that the house is off the market, he needs the key back, and uh, he seems nonplussed as well as angry Carl. I often find that when I'm angry, I'm nonplussed. <laughs> Me too. So Hannah ends this exchange saying, that's all. Good night, Mr. Scarlet. She holds open the door until he reluctantly went out. Bess kind of ponders, Nancy's going to be so disappointed about the Webster house being taken off the market. I wonder what the reason was. Bess, it's the... Th it's the next door thing. It's always... He was there. Oh my gosh. By contrast, Nancy immediately is suspicious. She's like, Mr. Webster was eager to sell this. That's bullshit. As Nancy and George drive to the airport, they see a driver whizzing up behind them, pulls up to their car, yells, stop, pull over. So they do. And now he starts frantically demanding the key from them or demanding they tell him where the key is so he can go back and harass Hannah and Bess about it again. Nancy stays calm and says, what can you tell me about the moss-covered mansion next door? And he says, I've never been there. Why would he lie? Nancy's like, I'm sure my dad will buy the place. Mr. Scarlet's like, it's not for sale. No, 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 no. After a whole conversation, a trooper pulls up on a motorcycle, which I thought was just because they were pulled over. But no, you were going way beyond the speed limit to Mr. Scarlet. Criminal 
girls in this novel have no idea about how to suck up to anybody. His response to the motorcycle cop saying, hey, why were you speeding, is I was in a hurry. Good excuse, dude. So Nancy and George just drive away. I guess you can do that if you're not the one being pulled over. You just drive away. George says, now's our chance to get away. Nancy thought so too. How slow must this motorcycle cop have been that it took him this long to catch up with Mr. Scarlet. Right? They go to the airport like they were doing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The airport. This is another adventure that has nothing to do with our case. Several, several pages. Uh, pacing woman later. We find out that the airplane's landing gear isn't coming down. They spray foam all over the runway. The plane belly lands. It's a skillful belly landing. So skillful. Both Mr. Billington and Carson feel the need to compliment the captain. The young captain and says it's all in a day's work that doesn't make me comfortable that that's something that seems so normal to you <laughs> mr billington's opinion is that anton loved his orange grove and must be heartbroken now nancy and george made no comment anton certainly had not shown it yeah he's uh he's been a bad guy the whole way through billington i don't know who you know i don't like mr scarlet's actions i doubt that he is to be trusted carson def- decides to call the police to id who the mansion owner was but he has to wait until the morning they call him back say Fortin is the owner and he used to be a circus trainer we later find out that Fortin used to be a scientist with NASA so how he falsified these records I don't know Bess points out let's go after the Hamlin oranges that's the mystery we're here for Nancy finally after driving around a while they do find a Hamlin orchard hello we're from the north and we're interested in solving the case of the explosive oranges oh what a way to introduce yourselves it's the storm of the book they all have to crowd into the warehouse and someone tries to steal nancy's purse in the dark they try to cut the purse string so she pinches them so hard they cry out (laughs) i expected this to be a thing later like the mark would show up on someone no we never find out who did this we don't know for sure it's part of the mystery just somebody who wanted to steal her purse and then drives away so this isn't the place but they say hey go check out owen's grove Which is funny because Owen, as we found out in The Whispering Statue, is a very common name. (laughs) Max Ivinson never showed up to work at Owen's Grove after the NASA explosion. He also took with him several bags of the Hamlin oranges. And he also looks a lot like Mr. Billington. So all in all, suspicious. Ivinson's old boss, he's a bachelor. He was a good picker, but would never stay to work overtime. Communist. Sounds like Lazy. a total subversive. So the girls go. Visit the Nickerson. Talking to Mr. Nickerson, he grins. And all three girls thought how much Ned looked like his father when he smiled broadly. Ned's dad also has it going on. A couple of attractive parents. Nancy complains to Mr. Nickerson about not being able to see the moss-covered mansion, and he says, I have an idea. You could be a secretary for a surprise visit from the public health service. Nancy says, what an exciting suggestion. So they set up for Mr. Wilcox to go with Nancy. Carson says, keep alert and look in all directions at once. Nancy kisses him on the cheek and says, are you trying to make me into some kind of wonder of science? I've never learned to swivel my head. So flirty. Bess is suffering hunger pains, so they decide to have dinner. Celebrities and even the president might come to this upcoming moon shoot. By the way, reader, this is nothing like the original novel. Yeah, believe it or not, in the 1930s, (laughs) 
the space center had a lot less uh, prominence. <laughs> so the next morning, she's going with Mr. Wilcox to the moss-covered mansion. Nancy dons a white dress, white shoes, and she wears a bun to look older. She takes note of his asbestos gloves, which he uses when he's handling wild animals. Poor Mr. Wilcox has cancer now. Mr. Wilcox winks at her and says, take lots of notes. I will. Some for me and some for you. Nancy immediately when she meets Mr. Fortin thinks he doesn't look like a trainer. His hands are soft. Wilcox insists not just on looking at the animal cages, but looking over every inch of this man's house, just in case he's hiding a wild animal somewhere. Mr. Fortin is red with anger. You'll find nothing up there. It's an old tower. But we all watched Beauty and the Beast. But all he finds there is a telescope. Fortin definitely falls into the category of criminal who says too much. Yep. Because he's right away like, oh yeah, that telescope's nothing. It's always been here. I didn't do that. It's not there for me. I've never seen it before. Mm. I don't know what a telescope is. (laughs) It's pointed right at the space station. Directly at the space station, which of course isn't even really incriminating. Nancy then runs into Longman. Man with the whip. Man with the whip that they met earlier. Instinctively, she held her notebook so it would partially hide her face. Not suspicious, Nancy. They're going downstairs, much to Fortin's chagrin, and she starts to go into a door and Fortin says, don't go that way. That's a clothes closet. Nancy doubted this. All the places he doesn't want them to go, upstairs, downstairs, they go. But then the few places where he could be hiding something really bad, they just don't? When they get to the basement, there's all this junk piled against the wall. I don't think much of your housekeeping. Please see that the trash is cleaned up from here. Which I guess he can just tell them to tidy their basement if they have wild animals on premises. Nancy managed to knock down a whole conglomeration of furniture, revealing a steel door. She claims that she was just looking at this desk that she found interesting. Can I buy it? You were snooping, says Fortin. As they leave, the still door is still puzzling Nancy. And Mr. Wilcox says, I'm no detective, but I suspect he had something hidden behind it. Thanks, Wilcox. But it's not wild animals. No, he says if it was a wild animal, it would have scented us and made a growl or a, mm. or a yell or something. And like, that's not the point, Wilcox. Around the dinner table, Nancy says there might have even been explosives behind that door. Mrs. Billington, in a real best moment, says if you're right and anything should go wrong, the whole of Merritt Island could be blown up. Nancy goes to try to track down Mr. Webster because she does not believe Mr. Scarlet that the house is off the market. She goes to the post office, asks for his address. Nope, can't do it. I will send a letter to him for you asking for the address. She says, oh, I'll think about it. But a stranger says, I think I can trust you with my entire address book page. I happen to be friends with him. And it's a good thing too because Mr. Webster says, keep that key and go in as often as you please. It's certainly still for sell. Anna has discovered another clue. So there's another personal in the paper using the code that we all know, 15913. This message reads, beam ready for action. I don't know what that means. <laughs> We'd never find out the full message. Okay, so this becomes endlessly frustrating for me. Nancy decides to write this personal ad. And when they ask her, you know, do you have this already? She says, oh yeah. Does this sound innocent enough? Very good, says Mr. Drew. I see you've underlined 
underlined the vital words. Meet Round Ship Museum Monday. But we never get to find out what this clever, clever message is. What is happening? To be clear, there's a lot of suspense before they finally tell us anything about what Nancy's message is. But you know what they do tell us, Hope? What? A little bit of history. When asked about the museum, we get three paragraphs of history about Spanish fleet vessels that went down in 1715, about what they did with the Aztecs, about the Spaniards, about Mexico. And it's in this weird conversational style where Nancy says, oh, well, this happened. And Mr. Drew goes, oh, yeah. And then this happened. And Mr. Billington says, I've got history, too, because then this happened. They're very clear that the Spaniards were stealing these coins and shipping them to Spain. This uh, book does not go nicely on the Spaniards, and for good reason. Carson decides to surprise the girls by renting them a car. Yeah, it's a nice tan station wagon. It looks new. It was sold to them at a low price. They don't usually buy from people, but such a good price, they couldn't pass it up. So Nancy sets off in the station wagon and is almost immediately pulled over. It's a stolen car. Again, this has nothing to do with the mystery. The renters rented it out and no one changed the license plates? Well, Hannah says, You can't go anywhere without having an adventure. (laughs) And Nancy says, But I just love it. Yeah. So they go to meet the boys at the airport and Ned greets Nancy with a, How's my little sleuth? And he kisses her. He thinks that her plan is pretty clever. He's so happy with the coded message that I don't get to know what it says. Nancy suggests a boat ride. Good idea, says Dave. I'll bring my guitar. Ooh, Dave. Later on the boat, Dave says, It sounds complicated to me. I'd like some time free from the mystery. Dave lays down some good boundaries there. As they round the corner to the Webster house, Bess declares, It's all lighted up. So they go to investigate. And Nancy says, Did you bring the key? To her dad. Why? Carson says, no, none of us knew where you had hidden it. Nancy says, in my raincoat pocket, it's in my closet, as if that helps anyone. Like, exasperated, like, come on, Dad. Duh. So Ned has to break them into this house. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Ned made a run of several feet, as if about to punt a football, lifted his foot, and aimed it at the kitchen window. I'm trying to imagine what's happening. Did he roundhouse this window? Like, how does this work? I gotta tell you, I read it several times and I still couldn't picture it. Well, it gets him inside anyway. Place is flooding. All of the faucets have been turned on. Sabotage. Carson warns everyone, don't touch any switches. Bess says, I won't. I don't want to be electrocuted. Good on you, Bess. Bess is like, how are we ever going to clean this up? (laughs) Dave makes a little joke. You forget I'm mop-up man for the Emerson football team. I think we thought at first that he was like a janitor for them, but I looked it up and mop-up man uh, in football is the guy who's there to finish the job so he's just making a pun carson says operation dry out is in good hands oh boy nancy meanwhile finds some big footprints and big strides and she says these are not real no someone wore fake shoes not flippers this time they also find an exact copy of the key we know that it's a copy because they go back home make sure that nancy's key is still in her raincoat and then they compare the keys Hannah has a hot take on all of this. Oh my goodness. Queer things happen every day. I wonder what will happen next. 
Good attitude, Hannah. After the police leave, Ned had been so proud that the boat hadn't been stolen because he had the key. They, they make a whole thing of it. They go to go home in the boat, and it's not there. Now it's gone. Now it's been stolen while they were in the house talking to the police officer. Crafty. Yep. Just then, Bud Musgrove comes along. Ned shouts him down lustily. <laughs> Bud uh, is the cool teen boat pilot. When he invites them into his boat, they don't need a second invitation. So they end up finding the star beam by the spooky house. Parts missing, must have been towed, and, you know, it doesn't come up again. The Nancy gang has a party to go to at the Nickerson house. They say that this party lasted until 2 a.m., but then they make it clear that none of the girls slept in the next morning because they had to go to church. As they're riding the bus... Back at the Kennedy Tours. George says, I'd like to be an astronaut. What do you think my chances are? (laughs) Bess says, what if you get stranded on the moon? That happens. Ned says, how about letting us boys go first? We'll tell you how it is. Oof, Ned. Excuse me, Ned. Yikes. So the bus driver's like, hey, if you guys are serious, like, go over to NASA and start the examination. George says, would I get the same treatment? And the bus driver doesn't see why not. They tease Nancy, are you going to become an astronaut? And she says, perhaps after this case is over. I don't think that's happening. Two men on the bus overheard their conversation and want to put them in the newspaper. They're doing a special story on the Space Center and they need a picture of six teens. But you know, they probably shouldn't have trusted these two men because they had beards they had beards and everyone knows that's the mark of a criminal so they get them together to take this picture but this is a very special camera oh my gosh so in the picture it's like a tripod i mean it's it's the size of like a toaster and when they go to take the picture it shoots tear gas at the teens the men run off later they find both the camera and of course the beards just discarded and it's just amazing to me that someone put together this contraption this tear gas shooting camera and then just left it i mean that has to been expensive Ned is disappointed because the beards being fake means now we can't describe the villains. That's his favorite part. So Nancy's clever idea works and all the men show up at the museum at the appointed time. Yes, who's there but Mr. Scarlet the Realtor, Anton the Caretaker. Who is involved. Fortin and Max Ivinson. So when they meet up, they're like, wait, no one sent this message? Skedaddle. The FBI must be onto us. So the boys decide to chase in their car, Ivinson. The girls say, well, we don't have a car. We're at the museum. Let's do more learning. <laughs> so here we get another three pages in which they receive tapes and headphones for a audio tour. And we learn all about Spanish conquistadors, Spanish vessels. This is one of the most woke moments. I love this. After we learn all this, Bess, pointing to a small wedding ring, says, now I took this as, isn't it pathetic? (laughs) It's so tiny. Isn't it pathetic? It's so little a tiny woman must have worn it. Maybe she was the wife of one of the captains. Now you pointed out to me, she might have meant pathetic sad. (laughs) I thought she just thought that it was pathetic to be tiny. (laughs) 
Which, like, good on you, Bess. <laughs> I think she's just sad that some woman died, Carl. <laughs> well, this is the woke moment. George walks up and says, I can't find much sympathy for those people. They were just plain thieves. <laughs> Nancy commented, they certainly ruined the Aztec civilization, which in many respects was far above that of their conquerors. <laughs> All right. They go to the gift shop and buy necklaces and jewelry made out of pieces of eight coins. You know, let's all get together and buy some lovely stolen treasure. <laughs> And after all this, everyone was ravenously hungry, except Nancy. Nancy just wants to finish this mystery. We're so close. She tried to hide that her curiosity was getting the better of her, but her friends sensed it. Ned demands no dessert. Nancy is itching to leave, and I am too. You know why Nancy's itching to leave? Because she bought lobster. Don't buy lobster at a food stand, Nancy. (laughs) Go get a lobster sandwich. A food stand. Back home, the FBI has found the Rosaldo's reserve of homemade bombs, and they are being brought off to jail. The Rosaldo's do not answer who started the fire. This is the first time I hear Nancy like questioning criminals, and they're just like, no. Even the police say they don't have to talk to you without a lawyer, which like, oh, rights now. We get rights. Mm-hmm. It's all too much for Dave, though. Dave, once again, vehemently anti-mystery. We should do something pleasant to get away from the mystery for a little while. How about we go to the Webster house and see if it's dried out yet? Let's check on our chores. What could be more pleasant? (laughs) So they go there. The black leopard shows up. Like right away. It just jumps the fence and it's like, "Mm, teens. (laughs) George yells, open the garage door. We'll chase the leopard in there. (laughs) Meanwhile, Nancy, seeing that the leopard's trainer is running after it, to avoid being recognized by the animal trainer, turns and runs into the house. Okay, Nancy, you weren't just terrified of the leopard. (laughs) You wanted to avoid being recognized. (laughs) The book calls the leopard thoroughly confused and at this point i'm like yeah me too nancy has concocted a plan ned and her should stow away in the van to the mansion ned says inside with the leopard oh of course not says nancy giving a much more reasonable plan let's climb on top of the van (laughs) while he's loading up the leopard and ride it all the way in Ned says, that's a terrible chance, but I'm game to go with you. It's about this time that Bess comes back with tranquilizers. No Nobody one noticed. even knew she was gone. When she says that she brought meat with tranquilizer in it, George has her most best line. You what? <laughs> Afterwards, George says, Bess, you're the heroine of the situation, and you know I don't say that often. And that's because George does not give obvious compliments. That's true. Somehow Nancy and Ned survive their rooftop ride back to the moss-covered mansion. And somehow Longman doesn't question when they're like, here, have a tranquilized cat back. (laughs) He just takes it. Luck was with Nancy and Ned. He gets out of the car to put in a code, gets back into his van. Can you imagine not seeing two teens holding onto the top of your van? Yeah, I'd say luck was with them all right ned says wait nancy someone may be in there let me go first as they sneak into the basement yeah they find there a boiling swimming pool i and an amazing laboratory yeah that's the this like james bond basement nancy and ned wonder what was the pool used for oh yeah they'll find out there's a complicated looking machine with a dish-shaped parabolic reflector and it faced an outside wall made of glass building bricks what ned refers to as a very powerful transmitting antenna a beamer oh yeah you know one of those beamers ned walked around the machine squinting at the various parts 
Nancy says, you mean some kind of signal is sent out from down here? Yes, Ned replied. <laughs> Nancy puts together that our day could mean rocket day. And Ned decides that this beamer, oh my god, could locate the bearing and elevation of an object, the rocket, and destroy it. It just can. But he can try to de deactivate it. I just imagine he just unplugs it. Yeah. <laughs> but he did work with tools for several minutes. Yeah, he's not good at unplugging things. <laughs> Over the loudspeaker, they are now hearing voices. Yeah, apparently this place is set up so that Fortin can hear if any of his conspirators are trustworthy or not. They even hear the two tear gas assailants' voices, which they can identify, beardless and all. <laughs> A lot gets revealed in this conversation that the villains have in order to be overheard. Fortin <laughs> was a clever and well-known scientist who had once been connected with NASA. He had become imbued with ideology of a foreign power and was now using an assumed name. <gasps> foreign ideologies! He had entered into a conspiracy to undermine the space program. He had decided to cause damage at the center, wreck the moon rocket. He has top secret men in the system. He has secret signals for the frequency and modulation of the liftoff. And all this so he can destroy the rocket with a beamer. I guess they say all of this in the conversation. And Nancy's reaction is, he'll be murdering the astronauts. <laughs> That's kind of the least of it. Like, yeah. not that that doesn't matter, but like, Mr. Scarlet is whining. I did the best I could. He was on the payroll to keep people away from the next door house, but he just couldn't do it with Nancy. And Ivinson certainly bungled things. You were supposed to put those oranges around in strategic spots. Can you just imagine just walking around NASA being like, why is there an orange by this control panel? In fact, I've been finding oranges all day. Is this an Easter egg hunt? Ivinson also whines and says, I didn't really have much choice of where I went. Horton says, luckily I have the beam ready in time. Yeah, the oranges were just a delaying tactic. Ivinson even goes so far to say, you don't know what it feels like passing yourself off as somebody else. Yes, he does. Specifically, just, he does. In this conversation, you just said he's got an assumed name. Fortin says, here's your money. Get out of here and never let me see you again. Now, in a stark contrast to Nancy's healthy father-child relationship, we get the unhealthy father-child relationship. Dad, I want to leave and go far away. I'm through. You couldn't take care of yourself, son. He admits that his son came up with what is now <laughs> dubbed the father-son code. I would be so uncomfortable if I was in this gang and they were like, <laughs> this is the father-son code. And I'd be like, it seems a little intimate for me. Fearing that the FBI was the one who figured out the code, the son has been hiding out at his dad's house. It all comes out in ways that people just wouldn't talk. Like there's so much mm -hmm. explanation. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm going to stay, you got to get rid of all these wild animals. You know they scare me to death. The trainer says, we need those wild animals here to protect us. <laughs> they know the Rosardos are in jail. Fortin says, what? There's no telling what they'll say to the authorities. No, 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 they won't talk. It was made plain that if they did, their lives wouldn't be worth a nickel. And don't forget, they did some good work. Yeah, apparently Anton did steal all the photographs, good call Mr. Drew, mm. so that the gang could know what they look like. Ivinson had another stupid idea to burn down the orange grove. He thought that it would uh, cause Mr. Drew to get scared and send his daughter and friends home, but Mr. Drew cares nothing for his daughter's safety. Not 
nothing shakes that bunch loose. <laughs> Nancy about this time says to Ned, I think we'd better go. Yeah, we got enough. Yeah. Longman runs smack dab into them on their way out and says, you, and pushes an alarm. The towering Longman looks at the couple in amusement. We have a special treatment for snoopers. Ned, let us out! They try to push past him, but his huge, powerful body blocked the doorway like a stone wall. I imagine that's what Ned's thinking. This book is James Bond crossed with, like, comic books. Yeah, like, exploding oranges, Superman. This is where it gets Bondy. You and Stevie take these young detectives and put them in the room with the steaming pool. Don't put them in the pool. Don't tie them up. Just put them in the room with the boiling pool of water. They're closed in there. There's about six inches of a ledge that they're standing on. And gleefully, Fortin says, That's what happens to snoopers. I won't be thwarted in what I intend to do. So specific, yet so vague. Nancy apologizes to Ned. I'm so sorry. It's all my fault. And Ned pretty much agrees with her. Yeah. They stand straight and immovable as wooden soldiers. Yeah, they're just there hoping that someone will realize that if they get caught, they don't want dead teenagers in their basement no one did however back home Bert and dave are pacing the front lawn bess is rumpling her hair and george says we've got to do something i just know nancy and ned were caught in a trap or got eaten by an alligator or just making out who knows Bert says we've waited long enough which is what george already freaking said bess offers to drop them off and go get help way to stay out of danger bess (laughs) george do we dare pound on the door dave we would surely be captured yeah both boys veto that idea no george let's not go straight in meanwhile best tells mr nickerson who calls carson drew and mr billington who call nasa who say we'll send men at once what men what space soldiers what are you talking about (laughs) police nasa agents fbi open the secret lock longman let the animals loose it's it's the moment you've been waiting for (laughs) we'll be protected by wild african animals nancy wails this is horrible (laughs) they fall into their friend's waiting arms when the door opens and bessa says you might have fallen into the boiling water bess always knows the thing that might have gone wrong nancy asks who's with you it turns out the fbi and nasa men and the police are here ned says i think i deactivated the machine but a nasa expert had better check on that i'm pretty pretty sure i took care of it but uh i guess i guess you could check fortin has gone missing locked in his laboratory no doubt they can't use a steel drill to get in because the vibrations might set off the beamer like apparently (laughs) this thing could fire at any moment for some reason he's still not firing it i don't know what's going on in there don't worry they test the door and it's not radioactive And at this point, the author's clearly like, I don't know how to resolve this either, so, uh, Nancy and Ned, leave. Longman tries to save a little face and says, Fortin became obsessed with some dangerous political ideas and joined a radical group. I'm glad he's going to be prevented. I denounce my foreign ideology and government. (laughs) He also says that Fortin was the one with the cruel idea to install the boiling pool... (laughs) 
in case they have snoopers that aren't eaten by wild animals. And like, what? Like, you have to refill the water, the amount of cost to the electricity to keep this hot. You have to make sure the <laughs> steam is vented and all just in case you want to boil someone. After they leave, the Drews and their friends have mixed feelings about the mystery. On the one hand, it's solved. On the other hand, Mr. Fortin's still locked in a room with a beam that can shoot things. So who knows? Ned's mother takes a sensible view of the whole matter. They're not going to let astronauts into that rocket until they're sure it's been deactivated. I mean, you'd think, but everyone like stays nervous till the very end. Gus says, oh, I hope Fortin was captured and had no chance to use a secret device to hurt the astronauts. It's a beamer. Nancy says, I hope so too. We know what the secret is. At the moon shoot. Apparently it wasn't interesting enough because Ned and Nancy go to have a snack. Everybody uh, ends up having a snack. Yeah, a bunch of second breakfasts. A hamburger and milk? <laughs> At the rocket launch? Before lunch. First of all, I'm sure the food would be thematic. Rocket-shaped bottle with a slushie in it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Rocket-shaped bottle with a slushie in it and a hot dog or something. Like, you know, baseball food. It was so exciting that Nancy wondered if she would ever be so excited again. And in the end, Bess says, Ev, everything's okay. A-okay. Yeah, that's how happy she was to see the rocket go into the clouds. Nancy and her friends did not cry out. Instead, they were silently saying prayers of thankfulness. This is the most religious book we've had. Two church goings. And one prayer. Mr. Drew goes ahead and answers the phone when they call him and says, Everything's a-okay here too. Fortin blames his failure on your detective work, but I'm terribly proud of you. I'm sure he'll be even more proud of her in our next mystery, The Quest of the Missing Map. But until then, let's count down. Three, two, two one, one zero. zero. I'm Carl. I'm Hope. Go, Go Wildcats! We might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a, we have a, there's a host of video games. We can, um, oh, I don't know, put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon, River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio. Twitter at River Heights FM. River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, apple podcast or spotify or stitcher or wherever you're listening yeah if you listen this far i mean why not we actually put a, a lot of hours into